Well, good evening, everybody. How are you going? You doing okay? I better not move that too far back there. So, hey, I haven't been up here for about five weeks. This is week five. You wouldn't believe it. Um, on Wednesday, I thought, oh, I'm getting ready for my sermon and everything. And then on Wednesday, I get a call from um, Pastor Darren Hayho and, um, with an SOS, could I preach for him this morning? And uh, so I thought, oh, any other week I would have been able to have had a morning on and then had a night off. But no, it would be the week where I was doing both at the same time, which is cool. It just got me warmed up this morning for tonight. So um, I'm excited about that. So have you had a good week? You know, that um, Ian sharing that testimony about the Horatio Spafford, I, I think um, if nothing else tonight, it should be just well with our soul regardless of what we're going through. You know, if a man can lose all by one of his children um, and still hold his marriage together and go and run a ministry, um, and, and care about other people's orphan children and still say it is well with my soul, um, then there's really nothing else that we need. He, he knew the real Jesus. He knew the real Jesus um, that was um, the lover of his soul. And, you know, when we can grasp hold of that tonight, when we can grasp hold of that in our lives and go, no matter what happens, it is well with my soul. And we, and we hear that story, and I've, I've heard that story a few times. Um, but can you imagine being over the place where your three daughters had drowned? Um, and in that place, God giving you a song um, that says, it's well with my soul. I think for me, it would be anything but well with my soul. You would think, wouldn't you, at that time? But he was able to write it as well with my soul. And, you know, sometimes I think we get so busy in our lives and so wrapped up in our own problems and our own concerns that we actually forget to stop and go, hey, we've got the, the God of the universe on our side. And no matter what's going on in my world, it's well with my soul tonight. And uh, I'm going to speak out of First Timothy tonight, but forget about First Timothy. Um, no, just make sure it's well with your soul tonight. Because we can get bitter and twisted and hurt and um, all of those things, but it's got to be well with my soul. It's got to be well with my soul tonight, the life that God's given me. And, and, I'm, and I've got to be okay with that. And um, tonight, you know, if, if you're tormented or you're feeling like that, uh, tonight you come up at the altar just for that alone. Um, and one of our prayer team will pray for you. And look, it's got to be well with your soul tonight where you're at. Live in peace with the plans that God has for your life. But I have the privilege of speaking out of one of the hardest books in the Bible, I think it is anyway, First Timothy tonight. Oh, for goodness sake, I thought I've got five weeks or six weeks to write about First Timothy. And so I thought I'll just sit down and read it from cover to cover. It's only six chapters and, um, and God will just spring a sermon on me and that'll be awesome. And um, I read it through... I think I've read it 15 times and thought, what are you doing to me, God? What are you doing to me, God? What do you want me to talk about? And so tonight, I'm going to do a brief overview of the book of Timothy. I'll tell you what's in there and that sort of thing. But the theme of my message tonight and the theme that comes through the book of Timothy for me is all about transformation. It's all about transformation. It's all about transformed lives 
and being transformed into who God called you to be. But we'll have a look at the book of Timothy and see how I come up with that conclusion. Is that okay? Paul wrote 1 Timothy to advise his co his co-worker, Timothy, about issues in the church of Ephesus. False teachers are the main cause for this letter and their teaching apparently involved incorrect assumptions about the law. So here we have um, Paul writing to a young Timothy saying, there's a church in Ephesus and they're getting it wrong. They're, they're getting it wrong. I need to get them back on track. I need to bring them into a place of um, what's right and what's, what's true. Um, and there's going to be some rules and regulations around that. And I need you to go to these people and I need you to, to sort that out. And so the main problem was false teachers, um, people who were teaching stuff that um, wasn't the truth. Um, in 1 Timothy 1, it says, They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about. And what they so confidently affirm, we know that the law is good if it's used properly. Wow, there was people in that church getting up and sprouting off all of these things that they were saying was the truth, but it wasn't the truth. It, it wasn't the truth at all. They were taking liberty in what they were saying and they were destroying the church of Ephesus. Some of the things they were teaching about were not allowing marriage and certain foods and um, own desires and pleasures of things that they said God was okay with. Um, they were allowing lots of things into that church um, which were causing it to actually not be the church that God had created it to be. They forbid people to marry, it says in 1 Timothy 4. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For, every, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving because if it's consecrated by the word of God in prayer. So nothing that God made was bad. And they were having their own say and making up their own doctrines and their own philosophies along the way of this, um, this thing and then putting it all into the church and trying to turn it into something and make it something that it wasn't um, supposed to be. So I, I don't know about you, but uh, it doesn't sound like the church that I really wanted to be in. Paul's real concern um, is with the result of false teaching um, for it promotes mere theories over solid truth. And it says in 1 Timothy, And I urge you, um, when I went to Macedonia, there, stay there in Ephesus so that, they may, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrine any longer and to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. Wow, how often... Um, do we hear that? You know, like I remember um, in, when we did Bible college, um, the, our lecturer used to talk about going down rabbit holes. Um, you never find a way out. You can never find a way out the other end. It's just going down a rabbit hole, a, 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 a journey that will never take you anywhere good. And, you know, I, I, this church is... Like, the more I started to read about the church in Ephesus, the more I realised it was in a real mess. 
It was a church that was um, under false teaching. There was uh, sexual impurity in there. People were tut-tutting people for what they should and shouldn't do. And some people were eating this and telling people they can't eat that and doing this and not being able to do that. And the truth was being distorted. And it was like, oh, it was terrible. And it led to a real arrogance in the church. They are conceited and understand nothing. Paul didn't pull any punches, really. Um, and well, you know, at all, you know. Like, uh, I wonder what he would have said had he stood there in front of them. He probably did say it. But, you know, I wonder how the people reacted to that. They are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about the word that result in envy, strife, malice, talk, evil, suspicions, and constant frictions between people of corrupt minds who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. This church is getting better and better. <laughs> this is just the place that I want to be, isn't it? Well, these people who came into this church and decided that they could have a say in what was going on in that place and make it what they thought it should be, and they were destroying the church of Ephesus. Wow. They who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into foolish and harmless full desires. They plunge uh, people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people um, eager for money have wandered from the truth and pierced themselves with many griefs. So not only that, they were, they were using the church um, for their own gain and to make it a place um, that was profiting them by not even telling the truth. But the time had come for the church at Ephesus to get a real shake up. <laughs> I tell you what, it needed a good shake-up. It needed, and if, if you believe what the book of 1 Timothy says, it needed structure and some pulling into line. Timothy's role was to show that the gospel brings holy living to believers. There is no separation between belief and behaviour. And those who profess faith but show no progress in godliness should actually question their spiritual health. Ouch. Did you hear that? Those people who profess faith but show no progress should question their spiritual health. This church had ended up in a real mess. They need the need for proper behaviour in worship, in matters like evangelical prayer, unity, modesty and submission. That church leaders should be people who live lives shaped by the gospel. Appropriate honour is the key element in how Christians should relate to others in the church. Everything God created is good and is, is to be appreciated but not worshipped. And it's important to protect the truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. That's what the book of Timothy is all about because they had wandered so far from the truth of the gospel. They had wandered so far over this way and they thought it was okay. It sounds like Timothy had his work cut out for him. This church was a real mess, a complete runaway train. And um, I, I don't know, uh, in, in today's um, version of that, in 2022, 
Uh, if you were being counselled by somebody who was in higher authority than you and you were talking to them about your church like that, I think they might be saying, I think it's best you close the doors. I don't know whether or not that church is able to come back from that. I don't know if you're allowing all that stuff into your church, then I don't know. I could be beyond help. So tonight I want to call this message the Timothy transformation because he was the one that got in there and did what he, what he was supposed to do. Paul, who sent Timothy, to me was totally transformed. Now I don't know, um, most of us know the story of um, Saul becoming Paul, but a brief overview of that, you know, Saul was a murderer, a killer, he hated Christians, he went around doing all that he could to make sure the Christians' lives were miserable. And one day, he had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And his life was changed forever. And Saul became Paul and he flipped over and he started becoming a person who went and changed the lives of Christians and people all over the world for good. And I want to say tonight that are you um, totally transformed like Saul who became Paul? Because if God can do that to him, he can do it for you. And this man was someone that I don't know, actually, I'm going to read a little bit about Saul, and truthfully, I don't know whether I actually would like him. I don't know whether we would get along. I don't know whether or not we would have been mates. He was highly educated, a student of the scriptures and knew them well, a skillful writer, a debater and a public speaker. He travelled extensively spreading the gospel and establishing churches. He was the spiritual leader over a number of far-flung churches and trained up pastors and elders to oversee those churches. He had poor eyesight and, as the Bible says, he was of unimpressive appearance. Poor eyesight and ugly. And God still used him. He seemed to struggle with pride and at times had a hot temper. He said that God gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. Paul was an all or nothing kind of guy. He was never lukewarm. He was either zealously persecuting Christians or zealously proclaiming it. Paul's thinking was very logical and sharp and he knew how to give a good defence to others. Well, that's a man that I reckon if you went head to head with him, you would not win. If you had him in your church and he was sharing, he'd be the one that would come in and slice us to bits and dice us up and put us back together the way that we were supposed to be. He wouldn't be your best friend. He wouldn't be warm and fuzzy. Not at all. And I tell you what, if you tried to go head to head with him, something that wasn't theological, he would take you down because he would win, because he knew the truth. But then you've got Timothy, the one who had to go in and sort out this myth, and I call him a timid Timothy, because Timothy um, is said to have been acquainted with the Scriptures since he was a child, and in 1 Corinthians it suggests that he was by nature reserved and timid. 
Um, when Timothy comes, it says in 1 Corinthians, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord. So uh, Paul had gone in and said, you know, look after this young fellow. He's a little bit soft. He's timid. He's reserved. Make sure you keep an eye on him. Let him, let him, um, give him, give him what he needs. It seems that Timothy had a chronic illness that required some attention because it says in 1 Timothy 5, Paul counselled him and to change his diet um, to, to aid the relief of his condition. So here we have got two men that have been put together, totally polar opposites, Graham and Simon. Yes. Two men that are polar opposites, doing the work of God. Paul, who was... Um, would be probably a thorn in most people's flesh because he'd come in and tell you what he wanted to do. And the timid Timothy, who was there to love on you and, um, and try and bring restoration back to this thing and would agonise over all of those things. You know, tonight as we, as we wander through this book of Timothy, are you the Saul? Are you the Saul who became Paul and your life was so transformed that you can never go back to doing um, what you were doing in your past and your life is black and white different? Like, are you the Timothy, the timid Timothy, who was transformed enough to be able to go in and try and sort out this mess in this church in Ephesus? He was only a young man as well um, who did that. Which one of those two are you? Or... Hopefully not, you're not the next person I want to talk about. Alexander the coppersmith. The biggest problem mentioned in 1 Timothy. Do you want to be the biggest problem in the church? Let's face it. How terrible that the Bible in 1 Timothy actually names someone as the biggest problem in their church. Wow. I don't want to be that person. I do not want to be that person at all. Alexander the coppersmith. He was the man who did significant harm to Paul's ministry. Some people believe that this Alexander the coppersmith to be the same Alexander mentioned in 1 Timothy. Can't be sure he was the same, but I'm going to... 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, not sure whether he's the same person, but I'm thinking that he probably was. Um, Alexander had obviously professed faith in Christ at one point, had shipwrecked his faith, um, then he had veered off, call, off course um, away from the good teaching and drifted into uh, dangerous rocks and false teaching. So somehow he'd veered off course um, and gone a different way. He was uh, walking according to the flesh and not the spirit, claiming the name of Jesus and behaving like an unbeliever. As a result, Paul had pronounced an apostolic uh, apostolic curse upon Alexander, allowing Satan to destroy or harm the man so that his soul might be saved. Wow. When I read that in the Bible, I thought, wow, Paul just said, I've had enough of you, Alexander. I'm handing you over to Satan. I've had enough. I'm handing you over to Satan that he might be saved. You know, I wonder if he was trying to get to the point where he was so desperate that he actually came back to God, trying to do him a favour. It didn't seem to have worked. It says in 2 Timothy 4, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm and the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. I don't want to be that person. 
I don't want to be that person in the church that actually causes so much harm to the church um, and, and God will repay you for your deeds. That would suck, wouldn't it? Like that would be a terrible place to be. Alexander was an influential Jewish metal worker in Ephesus. When the missionaries came to town, Alexander the coppersmith got to know them and was seemingly open to the gospel. And when the unrest broke out over sales, Alexander was chosen as the natural liaison between the silversmiths and the target of their um, what was going on. Alexander showed his true colours in the church and it became apparent um, that he and Hymenaeus were living for themselves and not for Christ. Alexander the coppersmith had continued to damage the cause of Christ and had been a personal enemy. Possibly um, Alexander had used the influence and financial standing um, to prejudice the Roman Empire against Paul. Alexander sucks. I don't want to be Alexander at all. I don't want to be like him. But there had to be in that church to stop all that stuff from happening, order and structure. And that's what Timothy had to go in there and try and bring this train wreck back together. He had to go in there and try and bring something out of nothing back together. And so that's where we hear in First Timothy about all of the rules and regulations and all of the things that were, that were needed in that church to make it the church that it needed to be. And so I'm big on structure. I'm big on um, trying to get things in order. But it talks a lot about overseers, deacons. Um, and here's a trustworthy saying. It says, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. So we've got um, elders and deacons, pastoral leadership team, board, um, all of those people in our church. And, you know, here's what um, it says that they are to be. They're to be above reproach, faithful to their spouse, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not lovers of money, must manage their family well, must not be recent converts, must also have a good reputation with outsiders, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest game. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience, not malice talkers, but temperate, trustworthy in everything." And it got me thinking about our board and leadership team and how thankful I am in our church to have a group of men and women who will stand up and fight for this church. And I didn't realise until I read First Timothy through several times that as your pastor, Simon and I, as your board and as your leadership, we are responsible for you and this church. And the story came to mind about um, David, and he said, I fought the lion and I fought the bear. This guy, Goliath, is nothing for me. And I know, and I can feel very safe and secure in the fact that our board and leadership team will stand at the doors of our church and say, we'll deal with this. We'll let no one come in and take things away from our church that shouldn't be here. We will fight for this church. 
we will stand for this church and we will do whatever it takes to make this church the place that God wants it to be with zero exception. With zero exception. If Alexander was to come here today to my church, Simon and I would be standing at the front door with our board and pastoral leadership standing right behind me and we would show him the left foot of fellowship. Because I would not have him in my church. I would not have it. And you can stand and believe with me that this church is in a safe place because we take the rules from 1 Timothy seriously. We do care about people. When it says caring about widows and orphans and all of those things and all the things that it talks about in 1 Timothy, we do it. We love on people and we will protect our church fiercely we will, because we're protecting it for our youth, for our children, but we're protecting it for you as well. You come here every Sunday night. You want to know that you're not walking into a church that's teaching meaningly, menial genealogies and things. You want to come here and know that God is who is being preached and we won't let anything come against that. You know, we've had people um, come and speak against Simon and I um, over the years. Um, and we've had board members who have said to them, stop. Stop. Not stop in the name of love. Just stop. Because I don't want to hear it. Because that's just rubbish. Don't want to hear it. Go away. And the bigger we get as a church and the more that we have to deal with those sort of things, we will. I don't like it. I want to live in harmony. I want to live in unity. But I can be a Paul. And I will protect our church and keep it safe along with our board and pastoral leadership team. And we will do it well. Because we, as it says, in the next part of Timothy, are building for the future the young people who are transforming into that next generation of leaders. It says to the young people, and I wonder whether or not Paul decided to bypass some of the old people and go straight to the young people because he thought, you're all a waste of space. You didn't get it right. I'm just going to bypass you and try and get it right with the next generation down. And wouldn't that be terrible if that was the case? Wouldn't that be terrible if, if God, if, if, if someone came in here and said, you know what, all of you old people, you, honestly, you just, you've screwed it up completely. Just move aside and let Simon bring in the youth and let's see if we can try with them. I, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. This is sounding like a harsh message, but it's a harsh letter about how we keep our church safe and how we grow to the next level to be who God created us to be, a church which is safe and full and loved and doing it the right way. 
building for the future. It says to the young ones, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in your speech, in your conduct, in love, in truth, in purity until I come. Devote yourself to the public reading of scriptures, to preaching and teaching. Don't neglect your gifts, which was given through the prophecies when the body of elders laid hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone who sees your progress watches your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and the hearers. I feel as a church, we are a bit of a First Timothy church. We have young people on our stage. We're training them up. Ian and, um, and Jess are doing an incredible job of training up young people um, to be able to play music. Charlene's got young people on our prayer team. We've got young ones getting up and preaching at youth group and sharing. You know, we want to see the next generation come through in, um, and, and do what they are called to do. But we don't want them to come in spite of us. We want them to come because of us. I don't want them to look back and go, hey, all those, actually, now thinking about it, some of the things they taught us, that, that wasn't right. I don't want to hear anyone from our church saying that. I want them to say, you know, the older guys, they, they ushered us through and they brought us through and they encouraged us and they led us through. And wow, boy, we were blessed to be in that church of full faith believing people who love Jesus and taught the truth. That's what I want to be. That's what I get out of 1 Timothy. So tonight, what can we learn from 1 Timothy? Growth happens through transformation. Growth happens through transformation. We need godly men and women to lead us and protect us. We need to protect our church against false teachers and promote gospel-centred living. Wow, isn't it true? There must be, it's, it's a sad state of affairs that there are people out there who want to come into our churches just to cause mischief. That's sad. That makes me feel sad that there are people out there who just want to come and cause trouble and go. Um, I used to call them the people who come in the front door looking for the back door because all they want to do is make a whirlwind of mess on the way through and we have to pick it up and clean it up. Well, I want to say that we're going to be a little bit more diligent than that and maybe try and circumnavigate that from the front door. And, you know, we've had times in our church um, where uh, we've sat down as a leadership team and we've prayed and asked God about things that are going to happen in this building and we've said no because it's not what was right for us and we didn't feel right about it. And so I want you to know that we are doing, as a leadership team, we are here to protect this place. I read through this and I just felt so convicted um, in reading the book going, you know what, I'm the pastor of this church. It's my job while I stand in this pulpit to make sure that my people are safe. It's my job to stand here and make sure that they aren't led astray by people coming in and nick, 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 nick. And we will stop it and cut it off at its knees and move it on because that's not what I want in my church. That's not what I want in my church. And I don't think you do either. Are we doing okay? A bit sombre tonight, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, give me First Timothy to preach. I would have preferred to preach that to Acts. Thank you very much. 
We need to live in holiness and obedience. But more than that, we need a total soul to pull total transformation. Even if you're a Timothy and you're timid, if God's calling you to do something big, just go. And in our church, Alexander's, who are transformed for trouble, will never win. I can promise you that. We need to build into our young people and keep seeing young people transformed into who they were created to be. There is no separation between belief and behaviour. If we profess faith but show no progress in godliness, we should question our spiritual health. That really ouches me. Because I see so many people who don't grow in their journey and then they blame the church. They blame everybody else but themselves. Go back and have a look at your spiritual health. It's what it says in the Bible. Not, this is not Graham's words. You can go away and pull me apart. Have roast pasta for tea tonight if you want to, but roast it over First Timothy. Roast it over First Timothy. Because I'm just saying what it says in the book. I'm just saying what it says in the book. I didn't even get to the bit where it says that we should get double honour for being up here. Won't even talk about that. You guys are awesome. There's so much more in the book. We have to guard, um, guard what's been entrusted to our care. But with transformation and structure, we can change the world. With transformation and structure, we can change the world. And we're going off on a bit of a journey in a couple of weeks' time to see um, what we can do in our nation to bring revival to this nation. And with structure and transformation and following God's plan, we can change the world. And real transformation brings life. Real transformation brings life. If you flick over to Revelations 2, um, where it talks about the angel and the church in Ephesus, this is what's written. These are the words to him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. That church must have struggled and struggled and struggled. And even after Paul and Timothy went there and tried to bring it all back into order, it says we have no way of knowing whether they corrected their problems. They did for a season, but sadly the church died somewhere during the second century. And in later centuries, Ephesus was the leading city of councils for the early Roman church. 
it didn't make it. They tried, but it doesn't sound like they made it because there was too much false teaching. Too many of these, what are they called? The Nicolosians. They are men who led lives of unrestricted indulgence in the church. And you know, as I read through the book of Timothy, I actually cried more and more thinking about what could be if we don't get it right. And we are um, charged to make sure that we keep our church heading in the ways of Jesus and that only. But what I do know is that a couple of people who can come into your church and cause disruption and start speaking the not truth can soon be the end of it and we may not be able to come back. So as a leadership, as your pastor, we're going to protect our church fiercely. We are going to love the truth and the truth only. And you know what? I tell you this. If you hear someone speaking against our church, if you hear someone speaking against me, if you hear someone speaking against our board, you stop them in, the, in their tracks. Because I do that for you. Let's pull it up. And let's be the church that grows on a foundation of structure and gets it right. Because when we are 250, 350, 450, 550, 1,000 people strong here, and we have 20, 30, 40 churches in Queensland, and 20, 30, 40 in New South Wales and Victoria that are all tucking under our wings, what will happen if we don't get our structure right out of First Timothy here? It will collapse. It will collapse. And I know that sounds harsh tonight. Straight out of First Timothy. Straight out of 1 Timothy. I am so excited about the future of our church. I'm so excited about where God is taking our, our little tiny church and where we're going. And you can come up here and whenever you're ready, that's fine, where God is taking us. But tonight, if you look deep down in your heart, are you totally transformed? Are you totally transformed tonight from a Saul to a Paul? Or are you being an Alexander and you're just there and you're causing trouble and you're being difficult to get along with and you're just being difficult? Then for your own sake, stop it. For your own sake, stop it. Because I want to see you reach your full potential of who God has called you to be. So tonight... Gordon, stand up. Gordon's on our board. Michelle, where are you? Stand up over there. We've got James down the back there, James. Where's Jess? Over here on our pastoral leadership team. Amanda here on our pastoral leadership team. Who am I missing there somewhere? Mark is on our board down the back there. And, um, you know, these guys, um, Chris and Glennis and Simon and Trish, we keep you safe. We protect you. 
We look after you and we make sure that this place runs the way that God wants it to run, without exception. So you need to be praying for us. You need to be praying that God leads us, gives us wisdom, gives us insight. As we take this thing called Powerhouse Church, a strong home where you belong, um, global. Where people will come and say to us, how did you get that structure right? How did you do it? Well, we went to First Timothy and we had a look and we didn't do anything that was against that. And anybody who tried to come against us that wasn't doing the right thing, we just didn't let them in. We just didn't let them in. Oh, that's pretty harsh. Oh, well, have a look at the church in Ephesus. It didn't make it. I'm not going to take that risk. I'm not taking that chance. I'm not taking that chance. And so I have been really challenged to take 1 Timothy seriously as your pastor. That if we're going to grow and become who we were created to be, we're going to do what the book says. We're going to do what the book says. So tonight... If you're feeling challenged, not in the place where you feel like you are, should be with God tonight to go on this journey, then as we sing this song, come forward. Someone from our prayer team will come and pray for you. If you're feeling like your soul is um, dry tonight, like we talked about at the beginning of the night, you come forward tonight and we will just pray um, for you tonight. Pray for a soul to Paul transformation in your life. Never the same again. Thanks, Ian.